2: This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Here's your host, John Halpin.
1: Hey everybody, it's John Halpin. Welcome to the Wednesday, August fifteenth episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Um, my uh, joining me today, Derek Van Riper, who's going to be joining me. Derek, we're going to do four podcasts a week during the season, and you're going to be with me for three of them
2: yeah uh more more DVR on the podcast this year uh Tim Heaney doing more social stuff so he's still around nothing's nothing's changed with Tim in the grand scheme of things just different tasks for him this season compared to last season uh, so I'm looking forward to it it's it's kind of funny though today's one of those days and you've probably had these over the years where you just kind of fall into a one thing after another on your calendar where you get maybe a small break for lunch which I had. And everything else is just laid out. Like I, I woke up, I came in, started the baseball podcast, got that out. Covered Erickson's XM hours; he's on vacation. Covered my own, Again? ate my lunch, and I'm here. Yeah, he's on. He had a family vacation first, came back, and then he has a, a, a annual golf trip. I oh, don't think they're normally that close together. I think it was kind of a fluke. Yeah, but yeah, he's like second time in three weeks he's gone. Uh, which you know, whatever. It's fine. It's my job to to be the backup. But when I'm when, when he's gone and I pick up that extra slack, no one picks up any of my stuff to offset that. So this is just one of those days where it's like one thing after another. I feel like you know, when a celebrity goes to SiriusXM to shill their new TV show or their book <laughs> and they go from studio to studio and they're on like 10 shows in, in 90 minutes yeah. and you just, hey, put this headset on. Talk like that. That's that's been my day today.
1: Nice. All right. Well, people want to keep listening. As long as they're not shutting you off, I guess it's good.
2: Yeah, no, it seems to be going all right.
1: All right. Um, two things I want to ask you off the top first. Um, did you see Jalen Ramsey's stuff, quotes?
2: I'm, I'm hearing about this now, and it sounds amazing.
1: It's awesome. He basically said, well, he didn't say that everybody stinks. Here's the, let's see, this is a GQ article apparently. Um, Josh Allen trash, Joe Flacco sucks. Matt Ryan, he said, who? Um, He was complimentary toward Deshaun Watson and Carson Wentz. Um, He didn't like Matthew Stafford. Uh, Matt Ryan's over. Oh, my gosh. It's just great. It's just great. He's just trashing everybody. And not everybody. He said Kirk Cousins is a winner. Like, so he wasn't saying everybody's bad, but he had a lot of things. Like, Eli Manning's only, you know, the only, all he ever accomplished was with Odell Beckham. Blah, blah, blah. Not the Super Bowls, but whatever. So yeah, Jalen's making some enemies right now. He better he better uh he, he he better walk the walk after this.
2: All right, so I'm looking at this interview now, and I'm gonna have to read it all. And it's entirely after <laughs> we're done with this episode. But looking at some of the head the, the the headings and some of the things you mentioned, how much of it do you agree with? Like what percentage of the things in in the Jalen Ramsey GQ interview did you read and go, yep, I think he's right about that?
1: Uh, he probably is on some of them, uh, you know, but. Yeah, he's, I'm trying to think. Some of the guys I thought he was a little harsh on. So um, I don't have all the quotes in front of me now, but I, I thought he was, you know, some guys, I mean, I'm not going to be a Giants homer and stick up for Eli, but he was a little, uh, I mean, Joe Flacco, like Matt Ryan. You, you don't want to trash Matt Ryan. That's ridiculous.
2: Yeah, but the post-peak Eli and Flacco get so much more window to keep playing than a lot of other players who lose it along the way do you know it's because of their past accomplishments so i could see where a younger player would be willing to call him out for that i mean that's 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 kind of a, a a clear double standard in the league okay
1: matt ben roethlisberger decent at best mm, come on
2: <laughs> well in, in, if again i i gotta read the interview in full but decent at best people are gonna take that as wow ben roethlisberger he's being slighted it's like well Look at what Roethlisberger's done over his career. Think about who he's played with. I mean, right now he's got a top three running back and a top three wide receiver, maybe the best at both positions yep. in recent years. And even with that, he's getting seven and a half yards per attempt the last two years. Like, I don't know. I think it's it's fair to criticize some of these longstanding NFL quarterbacks that have had the job that underperformed despite having elite supporting cast
1: i'm sure tom coughlin's very excited about all this um (laughs) on to uh more fantasy relevant stuff so tuesday was another hard knocks episode and another without josh gordon um josh gordon is at adp wise i'm at fantasy football calculator he's done a four but end of the fourth round he's falling what are you doing we're sitting here on august 15th what are you doing about josh gordon if he's in your draft
2: Well, the good news is I have not actually built a team yet this season. That's all about to start up next week, though. Mm -hmm. And I'm just passing on Josh Gordon in the first four rounds. I, I I don't see enough of a compelling reason to add that much extra risk early. We're still talking about a guy that's had a long layoff from playing. Missing time in training camp matters because it gets you on the same page with the quarterbacks. It gets you on the same page you know, with the coordinator, with the play calling. I I think what Josh Gordon did a few years ago was amazing. I mean, the 87 catch, 1,646 yard, nine touchdown season he put together with Brandon Whedon throwing him passes that year in 2013. It's one of the best seasons we'll ever see from a wide receiver, especially when you consider the circumstances under which it happened. But a two-year layoff, only five games last year. It's still fair to think there's a lot of rust there. And if I'm not getting more of a discount then late fourth round why like why why take on that extra risk i'm not sure the payoff can be as good as it was in 2013 jarvis landry is going to be heavily involved Mm -hmm. so even if it's 1a 1b you have either tyrod taylor or baker mayfield as a rookie trying to prop up two receivers to be top 50 players i don't know if that's something I want to put stock in, put an actual draft capital investment in this early.
1: All right. Um, so now you're falling into round five, either or ready. I'm ready. Josh Gordon or Alshon Jeffrey.
2: <laughs> Jeffrey scares me too because of yeah. that shoulder right now. I think I'd be more inclined to take Gordon, but the, it's two guys that they both got a slide before I'm thinking about it. Josh Gordon or Alan Robinson. Robinson.
1: Um, Josh Gordon or Chris Hogan. <laughs>
2: That's another one where it's like, I'll take Hogan, and I, my, my simple Chris Hogan take is when Edelman comes back, whatever Hogan is when Edelman's gone, it, it's going to change. Like he, he's not going to be nearly as efficient or volume-centric as he'll be early once Julian Edelman's back. So I, I, if I'm drafting Hogan anywhere, I'm, I'm doing that knowing that I'm going to have to make some kind of adjustment a few weeks in.
1: Um, last one, Josh Gordon or Marvin Jones?
2: Oh, Josh Gordon, Marvin. Jones. I think I'd go Josh Gordon over Marvin Jones. Okay. That's a, that's a group of wide receivers that I'm generally not that high on. The only name that you mentioned that I I truly like at the price is Allen Robinson. All right. Well, these, these are fifth round receivers. So your, your line
1: appears to be somewhere in there. Unless you looked at the whole thing and said, I'm going to take a running back.
2: Yeah, I'd probably just go another position. I mean, you start getting further down, like Michael Crabtree in in full PPR, like NFFC the last week or so, Crabtree kind of goes, like late fifth, Sammy Watkins is in there. Maybe down there I start thinking about Gordon again, but yeah, I'm looking for at least a full round discount off of a, a top 50 overall price tag right now before I start taking on that risk. And people might say, that doesn't seem like a lot. It's like, well, it comes down to what I'm passing on, like what... Am I missing an RB two? Am I missing a top end tight end? Like, what what's actually there as the alternative? That's a factor too. And I just think once you get down into the fifth and sixth round, then you start to feel less confident about pretty much everybody on the board at that point.
1: All right, um, folks, we are gonna spend today. We're gonna go over some news and notes, and we're gonna talk about some guys whose ADP has gone up lately. One of them who we talked about a minute ago. But first, uh, Derek's on Twitter at Derek Van Riper. I'm at Jay Halpin thirty seven. You can also tweet us at RotoWire. We've got lots of player updates at RotoWire NFL, and we're on Facebook during the season. There'll be lots of uh, Q and A's uh, for uh, videos, uh, notes, things like that. All right. Speaking of news, first big news: Rashad Penny finger surgery out three to four weeks. They hope he can be ready for Week One. Um, what does the what happens with the Rashad Penny Chris Carson tandem in your next draft?
2: I keep wondering if this Rashad Penny injury saved people from investing in a situation that was going to be much worse than we once thought. Uh, I think it was easy coming out of the draft to be locked in on this idea that Penny was going to be the every down back. You know, they spent a first round pick. They want this guy to do everything. Carson's going to be the backup. You know, it was pretty, pretty interesting as a, an unheralded rookie last season. You know, he stepped into a role that few people really expected him to and behind a bad offensive line was getting a little more than 4 yards per carry I still think it's going to be kind of an ongoing battle so the lost time for Penny means you know less reps to show he can handle pass protection and the kinds of things you want to see from a rookie running back before you put him on the field so I think it's Chris Carson as kind of a low end RB2 maybe more of like a flex play early in the season and I think by week 5 week 6 as he kind of move a few games into the season once Penny's fully healed, once he's practicing every day again, getting some game reps, has a chance to show that he's a little more explosive than a guy like Chris Carson, I could kind of see that job changing hands later. But it's a little bit like the Chris Hogan situation, where you can look at Chris Carson and say, I'm not worried about week five and beyond. I'm worried about surviving September and getting good value at the running back position, and Carson opens that door. I mean, maybe, maybe Carson's the kind of guy you want to draft if you use an early uh, early pick on Mark Ingram because by the time Penny overtakes Carson for enough of the touches to hurt Carson's value, that's when you get Ingram back from your suspension. Got it.
1: Okay. Um, Penny slipped. It's hard to say. When you're looking at ADPs for these guys now, it's because the news just broke. It's going to be hard to say where they fall. But if you like Penny enough, you might be able to get him at a bargain. Um, Let's see. Next up, 49ers. Okay, now. Let's try to keep this straight. They... Signed Alfred Morris because Jarek McKinnon and Matt Breda are hurt. Both apparently not very seriously. Alfred Morris signed Jeremy McNichols running with the ones because, I mean, there's really nobody else there. Does any, I, I feel like I'm looking at, at McKinnon and then maybe if you if you were thinking about taking that, you know, dart throw late at Matt Breda. I, I'm not, none of this information has moved me one bit for the 49ers. Has it moved you at all?
2: No, and it's, you know, one, I don't want players to get hurt. But two, it's it's kind of annoying because McKinnon was a guy that I wanted somebody else to draft in the second round because he's going in round two of a lot of drafts, yep. especially PPR leagues. I've always been tempted by the workout numbers, and the price just got so high this draft season. It seems like a, an obvious bust scenario. Yeah. I mean, think about all the times Jarek McKinnon— Ended up getting to start in Minnesota or take on a larger share of the workload as part of a timeshare. And he, more often than not, let us down from a fantasy perspective when he got those chances. Under four yards per carry each of the last two seasons, getting 150 carries or more each of those seasons. You know, 40 catches in back-to-back years, 51 last year. I I believe in that part of his skill set. But even his efficiency as a pass catcher, getting him out in space, he hasn't been a consistent seven, eight yards per catch kind of guy. He dropped under six yards per catch in 2016. He was at five yards per catch in his rookie season back in 2014. At a certain point, even if a team like San Francisco with a smart coach who has tactically shown he can do a lot of interesting things with uniquely skilled players like McKinnon, you have to look and say there's enough of a track record here where he hasn't turned tools into production in a pretty decent situation in the past where we're a little bit goofy if we're willing to pay a second-round pick to get this guy on this idea that he's going to catch 80 plus passes and, and suddenly carry the ball 200 times and become more efficient than he ever was in Minnesota.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I think this draft, I've always been one of those guys who tries to get McKinnon late this year. I knew I wasn't going to get him late certainly, but yeah, his draft position has gone bonkers for me. So no, thank you. Um, Marvin Lewis said the other day, he hopes that now no one's investing much in Tyler. Eifert anymore because they are all afraid of his injuries and you know, Justifiably so, and he's being drafted as the twelfth tight end off the board with what I'm looking at. Marvin Lewis said someone mentioned him getting fifty snaps, and he said, I hope he never gets fifty snaps. So, so does,
2: weird, weird way to answer that question, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. Does it make you if if you were gonna if you're playing the tight end waiting game, you saying, you know, I don't want Gronk, Kelsey, Ertz, even Graham, Olsen, all those guys, I'm gonna wait. And you thought, hey, maybe I'm gonna sneak Eifert and start the season with him. Does this change your mind at all or is it just, you know, Hey, he's a good red zone target. And if he's in the red zone, he's going to be on the field anyway.
2: I think the way we have to look at this is that they may take away some blocking responsibilities that would cause the snap count to go down. Mm -hmm. And that brings the injury risk down, right? I mean, even when you're out there blocking (laughs) the chances of someone getting blocked into your legs or hurting your back or hurting something while you're doing that, it's still pretty high. So maybe this actually is a good thing in, in a weird way where they're using him for snaps when they want him to go run a route and, and do something with a mismatch against an opposing defensive player. So I, I'm always the sucker that would, would pay up for Eifert. And now that the price is low, you're right. He's outside the top 12 of the position. He's kind of your high upside tight end two you can draft if you have a Delaney Walker type, you know, kind of an old veteran as your tight end one that you think, yeah, he's probably fine. If he's not, though, I want some upside. Eifert, to me kind of scratches that itch and you can do it with one of your last picks in a lot of traditional leagues. So I'm not going to write off Eifert based on this news. Uh, my hope is that it could drive the price down a little bit. People will just read it at its face value and not really think critically about it. But my understanding or my best interpretation, trying to be positive about it, is that they're just not going to have him do excessive blocking and other things that would maybe limit his overall effectiveness and availability.
1: Right. And this also means more snaps for a great Rutgers Scarlet Knight, Tyler Croft. So congratulations, Tyler, on getting more work if Tyler Eifert's out. Okay. Devontae Parker, broken finger. Um, Status for week one is shaky. (laughs) I don't think we, again, he's another one. We weren't investing a lot in Devontae Parker anyway. Right now his ADP is 40 wide receiver 45 going in the 10th round. However, it, that leads me to want to talk about another guy, Kenny Stills. Kenny Stills last year was wide receiver, tw- I've got him at 24. Year before, Kenny Stills was wide receiver 28. Now, Kenny Stills is being drafted at wide receiver 52. Are we, are we missing the boat on Kenny Stills? And does this Devontae Parker news change anything for you?
2: I think there was enough for those guys to coexist and, and frustrate owners week in and week out, even if Parker is completely healthy. And maybe he will be by the time we get to week one. It's hard to believe, though. Kenny Stills is only 26 years old. This is going to be his sixth NFL season. He's missed one game in the last five years. He's been really durable. He's had at least 10 catches that have gone for 20 or more yards in four straight seasons, including his first year in Miami. He only got 27 passes his first year in Miami. Mm-hmm. 10 went for 20 or more yards. So right. that, that big playability has been there forever. And the rate of big plays is actually up compared to where it was in that final season with the Saints. But I wonder if, if you get him more involved, if, if that starts to chew away at that efficiency where it, it doesn't work nearly as well when you have him running other types of routes. Like it, I, How much of the, the big playability is just the way he has to be used? Other guys like Jarvis Landry, who's now gone, uh, and Parker pulling attention away from Stills and then Stills being able to just beat teams over the top. Like that's a little bit of a question for me. What would he do with with an increased target volume? I mean last season I think he had three games where he was targeted at least ten times Right, and you know four for 51 five for 65 five for 98 and a score and that one came against Denver in week 13 They tend to have pretty good corners. So I, I don't think there's a question about talent I just wonder if the usage from Adam Gaze actually gets scaled up enough and I also wonder if are the Dolphins like a bottom five offense this year? Because I'm not really excited about this team at all.
1: Yeah, I think you might be right about that part of it. But, I mean, you look at Stills last year. I'm looking, I'm saying, okay, he was wide receiver, what, 24? I think I said, he, w- and that was 847 yards and six touchdowns. That's not a high bar to clear for his- No, no,
2: it's not. And I think when you look at his week-to-week, he's the kind of player that just kills you in season-long leagues because— It's 2 for 37 and a score. Okay, he's okay that week. 4 for 51, no TD. Full PPR, okay. Non-PPR, no good. Then 3 for thirteen, one for 13. Those weeks kill you when guys just disappear from the offense like that. True. And he has that. He has a little more of a feast or famine lean to his production. Which, again, I, I, I couldn't tell you if that's just because that's the way Adam Gaze wants to use him. Or if there's something else going on there. But he's, I hate saying this. He's a much better player to have on your roster in a best ball setting when you don't have to try and thread the needle with when exactly to use him because his, his quiet games are very quiet and his big ones are difference makers, but it's really hard to time the matchups in the market on him week to week.
1: Okay. Next up, speaking of uh, deep threat wide receivers... One of the beat writers in San Francisco said that Marquise Goodwin is, quote, clearly Jimmy Garoppolo's favorite target. Now, maybe you think, well, it's not too surprising considering what else there is there. You know, it's whether it's Pierre Garçon or Dante Pettis or, you know, Kittle's hurt and all that. Um, Goodwin's being drafted as wide receiver 30. Looks like late in the sixth. Um, last year, I got him at wide receiver 28. He had 105 targets, 56 receptions, 962 yards, only two touchdowns. Do you think his draft spot is a route right, or are we underrating him a little bit?
2: I think it's about right. And I think we're still we're looking at a guy that has world-class track athlete speed. He's a little small for an NFL wide receiver, but that top end speed offsets it. Production jumped up a ton once Garoppolo got there. I mean, week twelve on. Seventy eight ninety nine, one oh six, one fourteen with six, eight, twelve, and thirteen targets. The yeah. Jags quieted him down in, in championship week. So if you you caught Goodwin as a a pickup coming off that that long T D against the Giants in week ten or something, or scooped him off the waiver wire in like a ten or a twelve team league. He helped get you through the playoffs and then had a tough matchup when you needed him most and was pretty quiet with that. But you can't hold a quiet game against the Jags defense last season against him. I mean, he played very well on the stretch. A uh, six-round price, very fair. I keep thinking, as much as I didn't like McKinnon as a second rounder, the way the rest of that offense is priced is very reasonable. When you consider, like that offense has to be good if McKinnon's going to make that value. If everyone believes that's possible, why aren't the prices on Goodwin and Garoppolo and even George Kittle? A little bit higher than they are. I mean, there's definitely some hype on them, but they're not—they're not all ridiculously priced the way McKinnon is.
1: They're not. You're right. They're—they're they're pretty. They're very reasonably priced. And I mean, I've been saying all summer. I don't—I don't like the weapons generally for Garoppolo, but you know, you're, you're not paying for other than McKinnon. You're not really paying for any of them. So, right. worth a shot. Um, all right, another wide receiver up in your neck of the woods. Geronimo Allison, the Green Bay Press Gazette, reports that Allison has, quote, quietly established himself, end quote, as the Packers' third wide receiver. I've been asking some of your colleagues up in Madison this summer, you know, who's the third? Who's the third? And, you know, they drafted, what, a couple of guys, right? Three, yeah. Yeah, so there were a lot of options. Allison appears to be the option um, without – like, well, actually, Graham's in the mix now. Cobb seems to be looking better than he has in a bit. Um, Devontae Adams, everyone thinks he's going to explode, it seems like. Is there room for a third rec- receiver to
2: produce? I think there there is. I mean, I think the typical Nelson target volume, most people just pencil that in for Adams. And then you kind of wonder, like, Randall Cobb's efficiency has been down for a few years. Is that coming back? Like, how much of that is is Cobb? playing through injuries, maybe losing a step from where he was when he came into the league. Uh, Even even Rodgers' efficiency the last few years hasn't been the elite YPA year-over-year that we were accustomed to earlier in his career. So my argument for all of this is that Mike McCarthy is a very mediocre tactician, and he's kind of single-handedly prevented them from winning multiple Super Bowls with Rodgers. You guys hate Mike McCarthy.
1: I know a lot of people I, do, and, and I know it seems to be the con- conventional wisdom that he's not that good of a coach. But, man, you guys hate him.
2: I think as a fan base, like I think there's still a lot of people that blindly just trust him because he won a Super Bowl. But I think within like fantasy Twitter especially, yeah. the Packer fans in that group, just, they, they just see right through it. They just see a guy that is in over his head at this point, and he's just not creative with the, the route trees and, and the general scheme, just leaves so much on the table. I don't know. I I look at guy, a guy like Geronimo Allison, I think, well, he has the rapport with Rodgers. Rodgers has seemed frustrated with that group of rookies, but it's still early enough in the preseason where one or two of those guys could get on the same page with Rodgers pretty quickly. Right. And then the other, other variable here, I mean, we've all been talking about Jordy Nelson being done like he oh he lost a step the packers let him go because he lost a step probably i mean like i i think he has lost a step he wasn't getting separation but people forgot how good he was at the beginning of last year seven for 79 and a touchdown in the opener against seattle got hurt on one of the first plays against atlanta in week two so he took a donut that week came back against the bengals scored twice in that game six for 52 two tds four for 75 two tds against the bears in week four 2-for-24 scored again against Dallas in a quiet game otherwise in Week 5. And then 6-for-60 on 10 targets in the game where Rodgers got knocked out for the season in the first half. And then after that, it was just like Jordy Nelson disappeared. But if you watched Brett Hundley try to run that offense, you realize that without a quarterback that can improvise, without a quarterback that has ridiculous arm strength and accuracy, McCarthy's scheme doesn't do anything. Like It was the same group of pass catchers that Rodgers had, and the step back was even worse than, than you expect. So I'm looking at all this, and I'm thinking, okay, Rodgers is mad that Nelson's gone because they were on the same page all the time. Even Jordy Nelson, who probably lost a step, was way better than anybody else they had other than Devontae Adams and that group of pass catchers. There's something about Rodgers where knowing what his receiver is going to do is— almost like more important to him than it is to other quarterbacks. Cause he can throw guys open so easily. Right. And I think the Allison, you know, being the third receiver right now, that whole storyline makes a lot of sense because when you watch some of the broken plays that he's hit Allison on over the last two years now, it's, it's kind of like early career Randall Cobb in some ways where he just extends plays, keeps finding space and Rogers looks for him. So the trust from Rodgers thing, I think, matters a lot. But I think what Allison has in that trust, he lacks in physical ability. Okay. Like He's 6'3". He's got size. That's great. But he doesn't run the way Equinemius St. Brown and Javon Moore and Marquez Valdez Scantling run. So he might be that guy for now. But I almost wonder if it's his job short term, has a couple of good weeks, people get sucked in, pick him up on the waiver wire. He starts to lose targets. You know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it just goes Adams, Graham, Cobb, and then Allison and the rookies are just bouncing around every week, frustrating everybody.
1: All right. Um, one more wide receiver, John Brown. Ravens. He is the talk of Ravens camp right now. John Brown, first two years in Arizona played well. The first year was kind of a bit, a little bit of a breakout, right? He, he impressed everybody. In the second year, he went over 1,000 yards. And, you know, he's just a great deep threat, and that's when he was playing with I think he was with Fitz and Bolden. So he was sort of, you know, the guy, the the deep threat. Last two years, he's battled injuries. He's battled illness. He's struggled a bit. Oh, he's free. Like is, he, is he the type of guy, look, it's easy to say, oh, he's free. I'd love to draft him. But if you're down in the 14th round of your draft and you're looking for your fifth wide receiver, is Brown sort of on your short list as opposed to guys like John Ross or Cortland Sutton or Anthony Miller or people
2: like that I like Miller a lot because I think he has a pretty clear role already with the Bears but John Brown he's the kind of guy that goes with one of your last picks I mean he's really cheap maybe he'll tick up a little bit because of the buzz I like what he does because he gets downfield he's got 4.3 40 speed which is like T.Y. Hilton speed and Flacco I'm warming up to the idea that that back injury he had last year may have been a major issue for him throughout the year. Like if you watch the Ravens and I did it occasionally often because it was the only game on like a London situation, or I just had to see what was going on because other games were in commercial. Flacco was checking down like crazy. And part of that may have been weapons. Part of that may have been his own health. He's playing to keep his job right now. I mean, he's, he's earned a, a leash probably longer than he should have. As a guy who's won a Super Bowl, but if he's if he's bad through the first four weeks, the way he was bad throughout last season, Lamar Jackson's going to take over that offense, ready or not. Like they they're a team that doesn't they don't seem like they're content to just play out the string and go seven and nine again. So maybe that lights a fire under Flacco. Maybe it's just being healthy. But Brown could stretch the field. Brown's finally healthy again. He costs almost nothing. I think he can be a top twenty-five fantasy receiver because of his speed. And I I like him a lot. I'd rather pay a discounted price on John Brown than pay a sixth round pick for Michael Crabtree. Okay. You know, like Crabtree. Sure. Maybe he's a better floor guy, but take, take a shot on the upside with Brown late and see, see if he shakes off the injuries, a lot of hamstring issues for him the last few years, but if he's truly healthy, he can be a difference maker.
1: All right. Last bit of news and depth charts are not always news. Even now, you know, between weeks one and two. Um, but the Bucks are not budging on saying that Peyton Barber is the starter in their backfield over Ronald Jones. They just keep saying it. And we've been reading in camp about Ronald Jones, he's having trouble in the passing game, and the, you know, the, the receiving hasn't been great, and the blocking's just been so so. And, and I mean, Peyton Barber's super cheap. So, so he is, all right, two questions for you. First, and I think this is an obvious answer. Peyton Barber in round 12 is an obvious late running back target. I mean, it's a crazy, like, you know, round 10, take him a couple of rounds earlier than that. If as your fourth running, back. you know, round 10 and, and maybe you completely make out on that deal, right?
2: Yeah. And in, in the same way that Samaje J. P is probably worth a pick at the same time in the draft. Yeah. Because volume for running backs is everything. And Barber might be a goal line specialist, And a pass catcher, even if Jones emerges to take on 50, 60% of the touches over time. like The the most valuable touches in our game might end up going to Peyton Barber, even if the poor camp so far, poor preseason so far for Ronald Jones kind of fades away in the next few weeks.
1: All right. Now the second question, how much does this news kind of scare you away from Ronald Jones in probably round five?
2: Yeah, I wouldn't draft him in the fifth right now. I got him in the fishbowl, and I have regrets because of the way things have happened since. But at the time, when the fishbowl happened in in July, before training camp, it was all optimism. It was, hey, this is a clear path. They had Peyton Barber. They spent an early second-round pick on Ronald Jones. He could probably catch some passes in addition to being the lead back. What's not to like? It seems like an offense that people were pretty high on a year ago that could be a little bit of a post-hype sleeper as a unit. It all made sense then. For Jones now, I think you'd knock him down a couple of rounds. If he falls into the seventh, eighth round, I'm back in. But I think there's going to be somebody in every room who refuses to believe the idea that Peyton Barber is going to be a valuable contributor for the Bucks, And that person's probably going to be the one that drafts Ronald Jones earlier than they should.
1: All right. Yeah, I'm staying away from Ronald Jones. Like I said, you know, it's, it's easy to say, Bar- all right, I'm going to give you this. So I'm going to do that game again. So down in the depths where you
2: could draft
1: Peyton Barber. Right now, I, I have a feeling that this weekend, Peyton Barber's draft stock's going to go up from round 12. I don't think you're going to get him there. Um, yeah, he,
2: he's going to go up two or three rounds, I bet.
1: All right, let's go into the 10th. Ready? Uh, Peyton Barber or, I mean, these are Doug Martin. Yeah, Barber. Right. Um, Latavius Murray, Barber again. Yep. Devontae Booker, Barber again. Yep. LeGarrette Blunt.
2: I'd still go Barber. I mean, I, I think... Right. Blunt could end up being the short yardage guy, but he's got carry on Johnson pushing him for carries, and he's not going to catch passes. And that, that even in a non PPR league, it's just fewer touches.
1: Nick Chubb or Peyton Barber.
2: Uh, that one. That one might just be. What do I have in my team so far? Do I have Lamar Miller as one of my running backs, where I want a little more upside? Like that's that's a good toss up, and you kind of choose based on the construction of your roster in general. Uh, I would say, if I'm making that call right now, I would take Nick Chubb. Okay. Peyton Barber or C.J. Anderson? Hmm. Anderson's role seems pretty clearly like it's the old Jonathan Stewart role to me. Barber's role probably over time becomes smaller than that. But then Cam's still going to take pretty valuable touches in close away from Anderson Ugh, uh, I, I think Anderson scores more fantasy points over the full season, but Bar- Barber might have more weeks that make a difference. So I guess I'm going Barber in that case.
1: Okay, for context, there we are up in the first half, around eight there. So that's a big change for Peyton Barber, who has been down. You know, most of us assume that Jones would get it. Maybe Jones will. Like you said, over time Barber recedes, but but he, now, like I said, you're up in round eight where you're thinking about taking this guy most likely. And you're up in the, you're up in a top 40 running back area where now we're considering him because of the way the summer has gone. So he's this a big mover. Terrible. I,
2: I don't think Peyton Barber is good, though.
1: Uh, you might be right. Even in college, his stats weren't that great.
2: No, I mean, 4.3 yards per carry his last year at Auburn. I, that, maybe I'm overestimating what he's going to do as a pass catcher, too. It, it's gross. I... I Man, yeah. Barber versus C.J. Anderson. Like, I, two weeks ago, it would have been Anderson hands down. But now that, I'm, now that I'm thinking about it, it says a lot about how much I, I, I lack faith in the Bucks playing their best players. <laughs> right. I
1: love when we think that about teams. It's pretty funny. Um, all right, folks. Fantasy Football Evolution is back for 2018 and better than ever. You spoke. And we listened. They've had a mock drafting, moved the championship final to NFL Week 16, and made setting up a private competition a snap. Join us and play the game you love as it was meant to be played. Fantasy Football Evolution's unique three-stage format delivers the best of season-long fantasy football without the never-ending drafts or late-season absentee owner and waiver wire antics that can develop in traditional leagues. Play as an individual or be the commissioner of your own private league. You get 16 weeks of action for just $25, and you can be the next Fantasy Football Evolution $25,000 champion. Maximize your chances by owning multiple teams. Optimal auto-draft and lineup assist can help you manage them with ease. Auto-draft. Don't do auto-draft. Even though they let you, don't do auto-draft everybody. It's all here at Fantasy Football Evolution. So what are you waiting for? Register now, FantasyFootballEvolution.com and join the evolution. Availability availability varies by states. Visit FantasyFootballEvolution.com for details. Thanks a lot, Fantasy Football Evolution. All right. Um, I saw a good article today. We talked, one of the guys we mentioned earlier, and uh, Peyton Barber is a you know perfect example of this, guys whose ADP has been going up lately. One of them is Jordan Howard. He is up to the first half of round two, 2.04, last I checked. Jordan Howard's been getting some credit for his pass catching improving this fall, this summer. Um, People seem to think the Bears' offense is going to improve. So he's going higher, but now Jordan Howard has jumped ahead of an ADP that I'm looking at again, finished football calculator ahead of Devontae Freeman, ahead of Joe Mixon, ahead of Christian McCaffrey. What do you think of all this?
2: It's interesting. Are those leagues by default? Are they half PPR, non PPR, full PPR? Like, what's the? I believe these are standard. These are all standard. So standard non PPR. Yes. It's funny too. Like people say standard. I think standard somehow means different things to different people. Right. It's not really how standard should work. <laughs> it's kind of kind of frustrating. I like Jordan Howard. I I think Tariq Cohen has pretty obvious physical limitations. You know, like, as high as I am on the Bears offense being in much, much better hands with Matt Nagy there than it was with John Fox and Dowell Loggins last year. I look at Jordan Howard and I say, okay, he has to lead this team in carries. Cohen's not going to come close there. And I don't think Howard's a bad pass catcher. I think Cohen can go line up out of the slot. They They can do a few of the things the Panthers do with Christian McCaffrey if they want to with Tariq Cohen. And I think Matt is the kind of coach who's supposed to be smart enough to get that. So where this idea that Jordan Howard was going to disappear came from, I, I don't really know. But I, I like Howard. So I, if, if I were doing drafts the last couple of weeks, I'd be part of the problem as far as pushing that ADP up. I, I liked Howard as the early third round, late second round back that you could get if uh, you know if you missed out on... A Joe Mixon or if you like somebody else better that was going earlier in some drafts, which in the NFFC, I think Mixon and Devontae Freeman were going earlier and they still are the last week. Howard was the guy that I said, I have no problem waiting and getting him a few picks later. Maybe I'll grab a receiver, you know, let those other two running backs go and then coming back through in three, get Howard. Now I probably can't do that. Now no, I can think about taking Howard in two and getting the receiver later, which is fine. But I think this idea that he can't catch passes is kind of silly. I mean he's he's been able to do it a little bit the last two years. Ten point three yards per catch is a rookie, only five point four last year, and he's been working a lot on it. So I, I'm a little bit optimistic about Howard. I liked him more before the price went up, but I still like him now, even with the increased price.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, now, now you're paying market value for him. Before I thought you were getting him cheap. I'm I'm very I'm usually very cognizant of the idea that, you know, why why pay to think a guy will achieve a certain number of stats ahead of a guy who I already know has done it, you know, and, and mm-hmm. Jordan had not like Jordan Howard, you know, 34 years old. I mean, 23 year old guy who had in his two years ago had a 1600 yard from scrimmage season.
2: So, yeah, 5.2 yards per carry as a rookie. Yeah, really good.
1: Really good. But now, yeah, in early second round, you're I mean, you're paying. And I mean, I still might take him there. Would you take him ahead of Mixon?
2: Yeah, I would, because Gio Bernard's going to be a factor, and mix in there's there's no room for profit right now. Howard, if Howard's a late first round pick next year, if Howard moves into Melvin Gordon's spot on the current ADP chart for 2019, that wouldn't surprise me. Me neither.
1: Okay, next guy up. <laughs> we talked a lot about this guy earlier in the summer, Lamar Miller. Um, he was he was hovering in round seven. At one point, I think, maybe late six. Now he's at the 3-4 turn. Um, How do we feel about that now? I mean, I, I think we've all agreed that Lamar Miller has limitations, but he was getting drafted too low for a guy who had an easy path to a job. Now he's being drafted as if he has the job. Is he still, is he worth where he's being taken, let's say, at the top of the fourth?
2: I don't think I want him at the top of the fourth. I liked him before when he was cheap because I thought the volume was pretty safe. So the big plays might come back with some health this year, having a full season of Deshaun Watson, kind of changing the way defenses have to play the run in Houston. I think that was something that I liked about Miller before, but that increase is knocking away all that profit potential. I see the limitations like everybody else does. I mean, this is only a six-total touchdown guy each of the last two seasons. That's with a lot of touches. That's with more than 250 touches each of the last two years. The efficiency dropped off. I liked him in the seventh. I don't like him in the fourth, so I, I'm starting to walk away from Lamar Miller.
1: Okay. Uh, right now the, the next guy he's a, okay, the next guy behind him on the running back list is Kenyon Drake. Which one would you take?
2: Drake, and I'm not even much of a Drake guy. Okay. I think I agree with you.
1: Um, even though I think Miller's more got a hold on the job a little better. maybe maybe that's up in Miami's just coach speaking. We don't know. All right. Guy we mentioned earlier, Chris Hogan. Chris Hogan is snuck to, snuck into round five, which I don't know that I ever thought I'd see. You know, we always look at Chris Hogan like, yeah, he's fine, he's nice. And what is that? What was his nickname? Buffalo? They used to call him Seven Eleven because he was always open. They yeah, Seven Eleven. Chris Hogan's a nice receiver, and now he's probably been underrated as a real life receiver. The thing is, he's never put up big numbers. I mean, last year, it, well, last year he was hurt a lot, but you know, if he played every game he probably would have had 800 yards and a decent number of touchdowns. But, you know, uh, taking Chris Hogan in the middle of round five seems a little aggressive for me, even if he is the nominal wide receiver one for New England. But as you mentioned earlier, uh, Julian Edelman will be back in week five.
2: Can we take a moment to acknowledge the Bills, finding a guy who they said was always open. They even gave him an appropriate nickname. Yeah. And then deciding that this guy who's always open should not be targeted more than four times per game in any of the seasons in which he was on their roster. Oh. Like, that, that's that, that's that's amazing. Like, yeah. how do you how do you do that? How do you, how do you have a guy that you say is open all the time? But, well, we can't throw him the ball, though. You know, we, he, he's open all the time, but we don't really know like, why. And we can't we can't get the ball in his hands like that. That's really strange. Uh, and um, Scott Pianowski
1: was here with me a couple of weeks ago, and we we're talking about you know the bills, the, the bills having a bad receiving court. And he said, "Wow, could you imagine if they had a group, let's say like Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods, Marquise Goodwin, and Chris Hogan? That would yeah. be okay."
2: Yeah, they they had it. Like it's, it's it's crazy, right? Like they had all those guys, and they they've all gone on to become better players elsewhere. So I, I think that comes down to coaching. I think your your scouts did fine. You you drafted correctly. You found you found talent at all sorts of price points that could make an impact and you didn't design an offense that could make the most of them. So anyway, present day Hogan. I get it. I understand why the price is up. I think he will be a top 15 fantasy receiver while Edelman's out. Top 15. I think, top 15. I, I think the, the efficiency is going to be there. He'll score a lot. I mean, we saw the run last year, weeks two through five. It was. Five, four, five, and eight for the catches, at least sixty yards every week. He scored in four straight games. Top fifteen receiver. Like that that's about where I think he'll be again this year. But then Edelman's gonna come back. The target volume's gonna drop. He's got a pretty lengthy injury history, too, that I think has been an issue these last couple seasons. I think he played fifteen games in twenty sixteen, but he wasn't healthy for a good chunk of them, and he only played nine games last year. I think Hogan's the kind of player you can draft at that price, but you better hit on something else you do late or hit on a waiver wire player because he's going to go from a guy that you trick yourself into thinking is like a wide receiver one to a guy who's like a wide receiver three or a flex play once Edelman comes back.
1: Okay. Uh, Let's stay in New England. Um, Sony Michel, knee procedure, supposedly not... Too serious. We think he'll be back, let's say, early in the season. I'm just going to check the latest. Um, yeah, har- hard to say when he's going to be playing, but Rex Burkhead has snuck into round six. And this is, it, it's another one. Even with the Michelle situation, I look at Rex Burkhead and I go, I like the player. He was a guy I was trying to get. Is he too expensive now?
2: 100% yes. And this one doesn't seem complicated to me. Why don't people realize that when when the Patriots have a need to fill at running back, look at some of their past behaviors, Legarrette Blunt, like the workload that Legarrette Blunt had two years ago. They're not going to put that on Rex Burkhead. Burkhead is a good matchup player. He's a guy that creates nightmares for opposing defenses when they get those spots. They use them, but Burkhead's not the kind of guy that you look at when he's carrying the ball and say. Let's give this man 250 carries and see what happens. Like, I think they're more likely to run Jeremy Hill 200 times than to run Rex Burkhead 200 times. Yep. And a fifth-round pick in a PPR league would have to catch 65, 70 passes probably to justify that position or have to carry the ball at least 200 times and be really efficient and score a lot. He might be really efficient. Per touch, he might be pretty good yardage-wise, and he's probably going to score a lot more than... Most players with his skill set would score, but a fifth round pick, I'm not seeing that at all. I I I don't see enough of a a volume there for him to make value, even though he is an actual good player used pretty much optimally by his coaching staff.
1: Yep. Uh, By the way, last year, um, weeks 12 through 15, Burkhead, six touchdowns, scored in four straight, carries 13, 12, 5, and 4, receptions 2, 3, 5, and 1 so I, I think I'm with you I, I it's it's too aggressive for me and, and and then in week four, you might see i don 't know their bye week you might see Sony Michelle and this will, it would muck everything up like that price is getting too much for me, so
2: yeah, Burkehead played more than thirty offensive snaps once in a game last season.
1: yep um, last one I want to jump back up because a guy I forgot to mention, Alex Collins, so Alex Collins has snuck up. About a month ago, he was going in the fourth round. Now he's up to mid-third. I like Alex Collins. Like, I'm a fan. But middle of the third, I'm gone. Eh, I don't know. But the thing is, it's not like there's other backs I want to take ahead of him there. So maybe it is right. I mean, I look and I say I don't like it there, but then I look below and I go, oh, I don't want that guy either. So what do we do here with Alex Collins in mid-third?
2: I don't think I can take him in the mid third. I think the receivers that go in that range are players I generally just feel better about. Um, I, I think there is something with Collins and his skill set that he, he, we talked to him on the XM show last year. He came on for an interview, and if you've read stuff about him, any of the profile pieces that are written, he's he's a different kind of guy, like in, 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 a, in a very good way. He does not fit any like stereotypical jock profile whatsoever. Like he's he's just a, a very bright. Kind of guy, and I, I wonder, I wonder if that, like that ability to read blocks and anticipate how plays are going to break down at the line of scrimmage, if he's elite or very good at that, and that and vision kind of allow him to take below average physical ability, like straight line speed, not a strength. The, the all the combine measurements for Alex Collins were, you know, below average. Mm-hmm. I think he does some things exceptionally well that makes the skill set play up a bit. And that they didn't add anybody behind him to really push him makes me optimistic too. But I don't see a third-round player there. I think there's a little bit of a fumbling issue that could cost him his job if that becomes a problem. And we saw down the stretch the efficiency really cratered at the end of the year. So you kind of wonder if maybe he wore down a little bit as the season went on. You know, He started off pretty strong on a per carry basis, but double digit carries every week from week five on may have caught up to him a bit at the end of the season. So I'm not on Collins, the third rounder. I think Jim Coventry did that. One of the Vegas drafts a few weeks ago too. And that was the first time I saw it, but I, I don't, I don't dislike the player. I just think the price has gone too high.
1: Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to present you with a hypothetical situation. Could, could your board in a draft, fall in a way that, let's say you have the sixth pick in the first round. Mm -hmm. Could a board fall in a way that Antonio Brown's there for you?
2: Yeah, of course. Yep, definitely.
1: So, you take Antonio Brown at number six. Mm -hmm. Then you get the middle of the second, and you go, oh, you know, Freeman and Mixon. and Michael Thomas. I like Michael Thomas. Or Devontae Adams, if you're one of those people who thinks he's going to get 15 touchdowns. Yep. Let me take him. Man, now I got Antonio and Michael Thomas. I am rolling. Now you get to mid third. You want to take another wide receiver for your flex, depending on, on the roster. I mean, th- this is where I am trying to think. If it, are there, if you if you are in a position there where you think well, running back is the right play, I don't know what's still there for you. You know what I mean? And every board falls differently. And I am putting you in a corner. I understand that, but do you take Jay Ajayi instead? Do you take Lamar Miller? You said no. Do you take Drake? I mean, what do you do? There is that is is do you dislike Alex Collins that much that you would adjust and say, you know what? I'm going to take Travis Kelsey instead.
2: I think I would. And that says actually says less about Collins as a player and more about the tight end pool, though. Okay, you know, avoiding the the mess outside the top six or seven tight ends is something that I am generally trying to do where possible. And being in the middle of round three is absolutely one of those places where you do it, because I think there's enough of a chance where. Even with the inflated ADP right now, you could pass on Collins in three. He might be there in four. And if he's not, you know, maybe that's when you say, "I'm going to take Mark Ingram." And when he comes back, I'm going to be fine. I'll deal with it the first few weeks. I'll stream a Carson, a P. Ryan, you know, a Barber, whatever, whatever cheap running backs you fill in with later. You'll play those guys early, and by the time they lose ground to the young players pushing them, that's when Mark Ingram comes back. So maybe you structure it that way, and you're not chasing tight ends all season you're rotating running backs off the wire, which is always easier. Right. I mean, like, can you think of a single fantasy football season where a, like set of multiple high quality running backs didn't emerge to, to help fantasy owners along the way?
1: Nope. You're right. They're always there. That's why I'm, I'm a zero RB guy. I like, I always like that theory. I mean, every draft is different, but generally I think that's a smart way to go.
2: Yeah. And I, I think there's a, just a lot of running back inflation on the ADP charts right now. I don't know if that's, a Mario Puig uh, original description, but that's kind of the way I see it too, where the the round three through seven running backs, they all have warts because they're all either in timeshares, they're all trying to hold off a, a younger player from taking their workload, or they're a younger player trying to unseat the veteran incumbent. And those questions are really difficult to answer, especially in August. And sometimes we don't get a solution to some of those problems until October or November.
1: Right. All right. Folks, listeners to our podcast can get a free ten-day Rotowire trial at rotowire.com slash pod. No credit card needed to do that. So you can check out almost all the features on the site. Take a look now, rotowire.com slash pod. Derek, what else are you up to right now? Have you fully you haven't fully transitioned to it? I know you do a lot of baseball, but what's the what's the uh, the balance right now?
2: Right now, for me, it's probably still seventy five percent baseball, twenty five percent football. It's okay. crazy. Once Week One gets here, it it can't be seventy five twenty five. There's just you know, there's more football. So uh, I might be doing the same amount of baseball, but the split just goes fifty fifty because there is actual football that I have to be consuming constantly. Right now, it's a little harder to track it down. I wish there was a. Red zone channel for preseason games, by the way, because Me you can, you, you got to watch them online, like on some sketchy feed. If you want to watch something, that's not local unless there's a national game on and it's the easiest way to look at multiple players. Like it, I'm amazed they haven't put that together and, and charge us all like 30 bucks to watch it, but inevitably we'll, we'll get there. So a lot of what I'm doing right now, I got the baseball pod. Uh, we're doing that three days a week. So check that out if you like baseball and football. Some people listen to this do. Some people don't. Uh, I write DFS baseball articles on Tuesdays and Fridays right now. XM, still doing that. Uh, five days a week. One to two Eastern on Monday through Thursday. Eleven to two Eastern on Fridays. Uh, so tons of hours there. A lot of talking. And uh, the <laughs> writing will will pick up a little bit more for football League in season. Either some blogs or just the occasional tools. I'm trying to develop a few new tools for this year. So hopefully I'll get those put together uh, in the next 10 days or so uh, and then the other thing I'm, I'm looking at I've, I've started a new league this year it's a I've called it a fantasy pentathlon but I've also called it a football pentathlon right. I think the football pentathlon is the correct name because there are some non-fantasy aspects to it so what it is it's the same 12 people in one big league together that has five parts we're going to have a best ball draft a super flex auction spread picks weekly DFS um, and then a survivor pool and based on how you do in each event, you get rotisserie standings points like you would in baseball. So if you end up winning the survivor pool, you know, you're know you the last one that survives, you get a 12. If you're the second place survivor finisher, you get 11. It goes all the way down to the last place person getting one. Total up all the points, rank the standings that way, and that's how you determine a league winner. So it's this new thing that I kind of concocted one afternoon, and I finally have it I'm one person away from having it filled. I should have it filled today. So we're going to get that launched up next week, and I'll probably write about that a little bit and some of the challenges that come with having to you know, be at least good in everything, I think, to win that overall. I don't think you can tank at all and right. expect to win. Like Maybe – I mean, the hardest one, I think, is almost Survivor. Yes. But I, what I did, though, I, I didn't want someone to get bounced on one loss. You're going to get two, two losses ah, in the Survivor okay. pool. So it will drag on a little longer for everybody. And I mean, if you you drop two the first two weeks, then you deserve a one in that category. But um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of interesting strategy wrinkles. I got a really good group of guys that wanted to play in that. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how that all comes together and, and who wins it and how they do it. And it's just kind of like a catch-all. Like we talk about all those things every single week. Let's put it all into one big league and, and see how it goes.
1: That sounds like a good Yeah, I was going to ask you basically because if it was one loss – my usual strategy in Survivor is to take risks early. But in this format, you wouldn't if it was one loss. But two, you might.
2: Yeah, you might take a few shots early on and, and see if you survive. And you could really make a run late if you kept some of those good teams. I, I think we'll see people try both things. We'll see some people go yeah. ultra conservative early just to make sure they get a few points. We'll see some people try to get away from the pack and, and root for you know, Patriots week one loss or something yeah. like that. And it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It, it really is. All
1: right. Well, good luck with that, everybody. If you like the podcast, please re, uh, leave us a review and a rating. We appreciate that. You've been doing that a lot lately, and, and we thank you for it. And I want to thank you for listening to this edition of the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. We'll be back on Thursday with another episode. Come on back then. Derek, thanks a lot. For Derek Van Riper. I'm John Halpin. See you next time.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?